So people always think things are handed to me. Like people are like, man, this guy always gets this and this. I'm like, they don't, know, you the don't know the story. You don't know the story. Welcome to Champions Battlefield, the show where we meet with champions and discuss their story of overcoming adversity. I'm Trevor Carroll. With me is my co-host, Jamma Gulshani. In studio today, we have former BFL amateur featherweight champion, Gurdarshan St. Lion Megan, who's going to tell us a little bit more about his story. Gary, what's up, brother? Not much, man. How you been? Good, man. It's been a while. It's been quite a while, yeah. Yeah. A lot happening in your life, getting married, Definitely. moving back and forth to Montreal. I, I, yeah. I don't know where to find you anymore, man. I, I messaged you. I'm like, are you on the West Coast or the East Coast? What's going on? Yeah. When we started first talking, I was on the East Coast, and then now I'm back in the West Coast, and then I'm back to the East Coast in three, four days to get married, and then I'm back in the West Coast three days later. And then back back in the East Coast two weeks later. So, <laughs> so are you planning on living in Vancouver full time in Montreal? What's the? I'm gonna be in Vancouver. Uh, I already spoke about this with uh, uh, my future wife there. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know why I love it here. The level of talent has gone up so much here, where yeah. I don't feel like we're missing too much what we used to years ago when it seems like it was pretty stagnant and stuff there we have some crazy strikers we've got crazy ground guys you just got to travel around here a lot more to get everything you need from one gym to another from one gym to another that's the thing where like in montreal it's all underneath one roof right that's the only thing but as far as having that personal comfort finally at the end of the day after a long exhausting day you know you can come home to it refresh i wasn't really getting that in montreal i was like getting the best training amazing training partners but i never got that escape to kind of recharge mentally Mm -hmm. And it that kind of started taking over me a while. So yeah. now coming back here, uh, my performances have shown, and I've done my last four fight camps here. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so the future wife is okay with that. She is a homebody. She wants to live in Montreal. Yeah. Her whole social circle is there. Uh, but she lived here for a year and a half, but it's a different world out here where we function different than the East Coast. It's mm-hmm. kind of here every well the city's a lot bigger too. It's a lot more spread out. So you don't really see people as much. You're, everyone's on their own grind, their own schedule. There, they meet up for breakfast every morning. They meet up for lunch. I, I can't even do that with even my best friends and stuff, even my family and stuff. The only reason we're all coming together right now is because of my wedding. Right. So that's the only reason I'm even seeing people as much as I am right now. But after this, everyone goes back to their own thing, right? Yeah. So. So she's she's gonna be probably a little bit homesick coming here. She will be homesick, and that's one thing I'm not looking forward to. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, when she first moved here a year and a half ago to test it out, we went through a three month period of that where she was just she'd be crying, she'd be like she just wanted to go home, and I was right in training camp that time. It was actually oh, my last fight for Battlefield, um, and yeah, that one was just like she had no car here, so she started working downtown. We live in Surrey, so I was driving her downtown next to Science World every day, driving back, picking her up, going to training, Tough. and it was just it was a crazy grind. It was a yeah. very mentally exhausting time for both of us. Plus her adjustment, plus the training camp. How I get in training camps, it was it, it was, was a tough it was time. Nuts, right? It was nuts. Yeah. All right, bro. Let's uh, let's go back. Start with Gary's childhood. Let's let's start there. (laughs) Just going to go right in. Small town, right? Yeah. Uh, From up north, from Williams Lake, BC. Yeah. Uh, Growing up, it's a small town. Like, you know, we... we, You basically grew up with the same circle from kindergarten till you graduate. Right. And you may still keep the same circle if you don't leave the town after. Hopefully, you got a scholarship or something and you can leave town finally. We just dream of moving to the big city when we're we're in these small towns. Yeah. So, just growing up, I was just kind of, uh, I was more in the education field. Like, you know, I was always, uh, 
I loved reading. I loved mm-hmm. doing, uh, like, you know, educational things. So as far as sports went, my dad put me in soccer and stuff, but it was no kind of standout. I always wanted to wrestle. I wrestled in grade five, but I was nine, oh no, what was it, like 88 pounds. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just like one of those things where I went into high school, it kind of just went away. It was nothing where I stood out or anything like that. Yeah. So for me, I always just focused on science and stuff like that up until I moved here. And yeah. then everything kind of changed. And then I was in accounting and here we are now. Did you, when um, back in Williams Lake, did you ever get the feeling of like the typical immigrant kid not fitting in, trying to figure things out? Yeah, up until grade three. Was it grade two or three? I don't really you know English. You were born in Canada, right? I was born in Canada, yeah. but my parents, uh, yeah, they're, they're first generation immigrants. They're from yeah. India. Yeah. So when they came here, they really didn't know any English or anything like that. So obviously when you're in the household, where you're getting your English from, you got nowhere you to get nothing, it. nothing, right? So it's kind of crazy. It was like, it was like this kid growing up in a house, but he was raising his family. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, like I would go to school and I would learn things and, then and I would and, come home and kind of integrate it in. So yeah. I taught my family Christmas. I taught my family what Thanksgiving was because I was yeah. just seeing these things and kids were talking about it. And like, like all these kind of uh, like, you know, Western holidays and the way it was and stuff like that, how people function. I was bringing it home. I was learning English and stuff like that. I'm bringing it home and stuff. So even Christmas, the very first year we decided to do Christmas, I basically went and picked my present. My parents paid for it. I already knew what it was. They wrapped it up. And then the next day I opened it and I acted surprised how I saw kids on TV were doing it. Thanksgiving was probably the funniest one was I never had turkey. My parents had never had turkey. It's not really an Indian food, right? right? So what it was, was my mom went to the the sandwich section and she got turkey meat, like not yeah. the actual turkey, the, the sandwich the, the meat, cold the, cut, yeah. the, the cold cut. And then she stood over the stove and we stood at the ta- <laughs> and we sat at the table and she just warmed them up on like a little pan thing and just was tossing it to him, made some gravy on the side. <laughs> and that was our first Thanksgiving. Like, like, you know, we saw it on TV. I'm like, I thought there was supposed to be some big bird or something like that. <laughs> so these are things now it's totally different. Now we have a big gathering and everything like that. Like, you know, slowly you're adjusting to it. Yeah. Um, my parents, like, you know, they always had a rule that I speak um, the home language in the house. Right. They never let me really speak English, English or anything like that. House. So they're, they're always worried that I would lose my values, that I would always kind of yeah. go out there and kind of, they always wanted me to remember who I was. Yeah. Like it's like, obviously we got to adjust. We're in Canada and stuff like that. I don't forget who you are. And I don't think they really knew how deep that was always going to stay with me because that's the very thing that keeps me going in MMA. Right. Now what even led me down that path was because they never let me forget where Your I came roots. from, who are my roots right. and stuff. Yeah. And always represent that. So as you see on my flag, it's half India, half Canada. Yeah. That's the whole reason because they never want me to forget that. But also, like, you know, I'm very grateful to be in this country and living by the rules that are here and the opportunities we have here. Yeah. But they never let me forget uh, where you came their, from. Yeah, their roots, our yeah. roots, and all the history and stuff. You know, like that. what I find is a lot of people, it's because I'm an immigrant. I mm-hmm. came from Iran, Iran, right? A lot of a lot of kids find it difficult to 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 make that bridge, that cultural yeah. gap between, you know, what happens in the house, just like what you what you talked about, and what yeah. happens in school, the expectations th- that people I th- have. I, I think the biggest thing is a lot of kids get embarrassed of their of their roots heritage and, of yeah. their heritage and their roots people yeah. look at it different where um what i've noticed now is that the way that i've represented it i get like tweets i get messages and kids are proud of how i'm doing it and makes them proud to represent it if you look at the indian culture now it's 
like it's pretty much mainstream yeah like you know everybody wants to kind of learn the bollywood dances everybody it's a very kind of mainstream artists and stuff are integrating into uh hip-hop music and stuff like that it's like all these different areas right the youtubers and stuff like that mm -hmm. the biggest youtubers are indian and stuff like that so it seems like we came to a point where we're like we should be proud of who we are and stuff like that and then from that it made the next generation now kind of be proud but there's a lot of lost kids out there too. Come to Surrey. Yeah. I'll show you a whole lost generation out there, man. That I'm hoping yeah. that we can change. That we can change. Hopefully, inspiration and motivation. Hope that's the reason we're doing this. This show, this yeah. podcast, is so that someone like in that position can hear it yeah. and feel inspired and say, "I want to change my life." And right? that's one of the things. Like I was realizing that with fighting, fighting only goes so far for me. Well, yeah. Right? It goes so far. Like what you're gonna see is two guys get in a cage and fight each other. But there's a message in there too that you gotta kind of a cipher you got to decode and that's why after my fight i always go on these kind of like speaking tours i always mm -hmm. go to high schools and stuff because teachers are always the most scared it's always fun to see teachers in the crowd because teachers are like why do we let a mixed martial arts fighter what's come and target say? yeah what's yeah. he gonna say we already have a violence problem in the school why are we letting this guy right. come and within five minutes i can see their mind change because they see how different the mindset really is how positive it really is i understand we're watching uh fighting which is kind of like you know right away we think of it as a bad thing but now let me explain to you what my mindset's really like what this has done what this taken a, uh taking me away from the bad circles i could have been part of yeah. the warriors and the warriors that i'm surrounded by every day and what their minds are like and that's kind of like you have to do that you can't just when you're fighting then disappear for right. me i hold myself on that responsibility like as much as i just want to relax after i'm like no now we got to take that momentum and we got to inspire we got to put it out there we got to put out powerful things and, and let these kids get inspired. I'm not telling them to become mixed martial artists. I'm telling them like, you know, use your mind, be positive and do something good. Like, um, it's okay to look up to a positive role model. You don't have to act hard. You don't have to act like a gangster. You don't have to like, you know, show stuff that is like, you know, just like nothing. Right. Um, so it's like, you gotta almost kind of open them up to that. Yeah, it's it's that lack of self-discipline, not yeah. having self-confidence, I mean, and not having the discipline, the dedication that, mm -hmm. you know, to, to allow you to kind of pull yourself out of there. Yeah. What's, uh, so you, did you start mixed martial arts or or even any aspect of martial arts where you, uh, back where you grew up or did you start in Vancouver? Um, uh, I would say I got put in Taekwondo when I was in grade five for like six months. Mm. Um, I got past the white belt that's it i was really going there and like the older kids would just use me to like beat me up back. yeah yeah it was literally a punching <laughs> bag that, that's all i was and i think that's where my pain tolerance really got built at that time because i like being around them but yeah. i had to pay the price to be around to them, be around right them, so i was like around these guys but i was like i had to pay the price for it so we go to taekwondo and we like show up early with the class would start at seven we show up six fifteen, and we used to have a royal rumble match and the royal rumble match was that whoever could toss the guy into the lost and found bin <laughs> and obviously i was always going to be that guy that there's no way i was going to beat these guys these guys were i was uh they were like Great well, tens and I was like grade six, right? So I always knew I was going to be the one that was going to end up on people's lost clothes yeah. and dirty stuff that's in there. But I still showed up. It was the lost and found match and we had you good times and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, that would probably be my only martial arts that was experience. The, the exposure. It, it, it was really nothing. I didn't take it seriously. Like my mind was in there. I was looking at the clock half the time going, dude, is it up? When am I going to get up? The, the instructor was just hitting on the parents that were coming down. He was just there to start. Like it was weird. It, it wasn't, I wouldn't even count it for anything. Yeah. It was just something to put me in and I got out of it pretty quick and stuff. I wasn't flexible. I wasn't in shape. And uh, yeah. I so was what, what was the first real exposure then? 
In Vancouver. Um, uh, how when did it, you move? I moved here in 2005. So that would have made you how old? 20. Well, I moved here when I was 18, mm-hmm. but I didn't get exposed to mixed martial arts. Till, like I didn't get like I used to watch UFC with my cousins growing up. Yeah. But I hated it. Um, and they were much older. They were like, you know, I, I like to call them part of the the pumping iron era. Yeah. Like, remember Arnold's video? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. like, everybody wanted to go to Gold Gym and just get huge. Yeah. They were growing up that. So they were 18 years old when that movie came out. So okay. so they were like already in their teens and stuff. And I was like, how old? I probably was like six. Right. right? So they were watching it when Vitor and Tank Abbott and all those days and stuff like that. Right. The and, early UFC days. Yeah. And I was only watching wrestling. Like, you know, it, WWF, Ultimate Warrior days, Ric Flair days, all those kind of things. But just to hang around them, I would always go rent it because you had to rent UFCs from the video store at that time. They used to come every three months. So you'd watch them live or you'd have to watch till they came on video. So they used to always use me and tell me to go get five bucks from my dad so we can go rent (laughs) it. And then you would just watch it. So So I was watching like Vitor and stuff since his early ages, since he was 18 and stuff like that. And I just was like, man, this is crazy. I never want to, I would never want to go into this. But I would see Vitor and I'd be like, man, I want to look like that one guy, yeah. guy one day. He was just like, you know, that 18 years old, just rolling through guys. And, uh, and then my cousin's like, if you drink your milk every day, you'll be like that, right? So I drink milk all the time. And then instead, I, like I was drinking the cremo milk instead of homo milk. So when I, you know, got older, that's when I got pretty fat. And uh, so that was that. So I kind of got exposed to it, but it was nothing that I would ever step towards. Yeah. Then when I was 23, um, I got exposed to it. I was sitting at a bar. It was Anderson Silva versus Rick, Rich Franklin, the mm-hmm. second one. Yeah. And... Up until this point, I never looked into any of these fighters, what their history was or anything. And they're like, Rich Franklin is a high school teacher. Math teacher. He's a high school math teacher who is still working and still, I'm like, what? So I had watched Karate Kids years ago and I thought, they take you up in the mountain, they train you from birth and that's your chosen lifestyle. That's who we were watching. I didn't know these guys were like running other jobs. You could have a real life and... A real life and and like, like, you know, I saw professional athletes. I was like, you knew at the age of three that this was what your life was going to be. This was it. Like you were trained since day one to kill. Like that's it. And I didn't know it was a high school math teacher was in this. And then that same card, Caleb Stearns was on it. Mm -hmm. And then... It says Surrey, BC. I'm like, there's a gym right here somewhere? Yeah, Yeah, there's a local guy. So I went home. I Googled it. And you remember MapQuest? You had to print out your instructions. Like we didn't have Google Maps. You had to print it out, follow the instructions (laughs) and stuff. So that time, Revolution Fight Team was in Port Kells. It was on the outskirts of Surrey, basically. And it took me about three hours to find this gym. And I would say, and and I always think about this, is that... I was about to give up looking for it, and I think if I had just given up looking for it, it I probably would have never. It, that's yeah. what it, that would have been it. Like I would have been like, ah, oh, damn, find it. Let's move on with life. Let's go back to accounting yeah. again. But who knows which way life would have gone? But I happened to find it as they were shutting the doors, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna come back the next day. So I knew where it was, and that's where the journey began. It yeah. was the hardest thing I'd ever done. I had an asthma attack. I got my ribs broken that first day. That first uh, day. The first day because uh, uh, there was a guy, Tim Thurston. Uh huh. Um, he used to fight MMA and he was a coach there. And I realize now how many guys come into MMA gyms and say, I want to be an MMA fighter and this and this and this. Like, it's such a, it's such a recycled, like MMA is such a recycled sport. Like you weed people out real quick in this game. Like if you're serious about it, you come in and you're like, I want to be, 
a superstar. I want to be this. It gets tested real quick whether you actually ever wanted that or where you just saw what UFC and you saw an episode of Ultimate Fighter and now you're like, I could do this and you come in there. So I started, I, I saw like a year later why he ever did that. Mm-hmm. Was to see if he could weed me out like right. so many other real people quick. got weeded out. Right. Yeah. And so that's what it was. I got beat up. I remember my lip was bleeding. Like I was beat up. I looked in the mirror in the bathroom. I ran to the bathroom. I couldn't catch my breath. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. I went home that day and I was like, you know what? Anything, whenever anything ever got hard, I always gave up and walked away. I would see these stars, these celebrities and stuff like that. I'm like, I always assume that they're, they got given some sort of special pass in life, mm-hmm. right? There's a common people. And then there's like these special superstars that like, you know, from all the actors we see, from the celebrities we see that these guys were like the chosen few, right? right. Like their life just made sense somehow. And to it them. was handed to them. It was just handed to them. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I kind of started looking into it. Then I found the secret, uh, the law of attraction and stuff like that. Then I started looking at Tony Robbins and all these things. I started looking at all these things and they slowly started making sense to me. And I'm just like, let's just take it one day at a time. Let's not like, like, let's not tell my family. I didn't even tell my family for the first year I was doing this because they were living up north still in Williamsburg. When you, when you first went to Revolution, you, did you go there to become a fighter? Or I mean, where did you just go there I because think, it looked interesting and you wanted no, to check I it think, out? No, I think I went in there with a dream to be a fighter, not knowing what it took to be a fighter. Mm-hmm. So I went in there totally naive almost. I went naive and you know what? I'm so grateful that I was naive because if I had been like, if I thought it through, I would have never gone, mm-hmm. right? So I kind of went in there without ever really thinking about it, not knowing what I was really what you were getting getting myself into. into. And I use that example a lot with like my family, my fiance, and stuff like that when they want to do something. Because I see people outthink themselves before they ever give something right. a chance. They think of enough. They think of two they, reasons they to do think it. Themselves out of it. They think themselves out of it. Yeah. And I could have easily done that. I could have easily done it. Like, look, it's mixed martial arts, man. It's a brutal sport, man. Like that. My childhood, my teenage years said nothing in a way for me to lead, like right. lead you're, me into this lifestyle. That, that I wasn't a kid. fighting on the street. Exactly. Or, or like some sort of, or whatever, yeah, like or some that. crazy athlete or some wrestler that needed to find yeah. like another avenue to go. I didn't have any of that. I had a good nine to five that could have been coming with a financial background where I would have been being safe, would have got good benefits, would have got insurance, would have got married by the age of 23, would have had probably three kids by now. Mm -hmm. And like my life would have been just basic and good and could have been that way. Right. But it was just like, there was nothing telling me that's what my life was supposed to be. And I just kind of went into it and then took it one day at a time. And then I started seeing that when I was sitting in stats classes and stuff like that, I was just obsessed with studying it. I would see formulas on the board, but I was just like, my brain would just, wouldn't let me draw myself a way to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing my obsession, my obsession. So what I used to do is, I didn't know what I was watching or studying because I didn't know any techniques. I had no background in anything. I had no martial arts background. So what I started doing was, um, I started taking notes on like, like George St. Pierre fights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I started taking notes in a way of how I take notes in accounting class. Mm -hmm. So I would use terms like debits and credits and stuff like that. I'd be like, okay, when that guy, uh, like, you know, when his reflexes are a certain way, he credits in. So he throws something, then he pulls back. So it was only making sense to me. And if I showed you these notes, it was like- You translated in in a language that you understand That made sense to me. That would make sense to nobody nobody else else if they read them. 
And so that's just kind of how I started doing it. And I still didn't know why. Like, I think the first punch I tried was a Superman punch. I didn't even try a jab because George used to always do that. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted, I thought that was cool. So that was probably the first thing. I didn't even have to throw a jab, entry for a takedown, reactive takedown, defensive takedown, um, like any of these things, any of these things. Like mixed martial arts is a lot of disciplines. It's not boxing. It's not mm-hmm. kickboxing. You got to learn a lot of different things. There's a lot of traps, a lot of feints, a lot of things you can set up. Um, and these were things that, and that's another thing I'm grateful for is that I'm grateful that I didn't have a background. Mm-hmm. So I believe that like, like you in, started with a clean slate. Yeah. Clean away. started with a yeah. clean slate, mixed martial arts as my background. People always ask me, so, oh, so what did you start with? Kickboxing, jujitsu? I'm like, start with mixed martial arts. I followed the revolution schedule. I followed the Monday to Friday schedule. They had a mix of everything. And that's what I started with. That's how I started building brick by brick. Mm-hmm. What I like what I was and then I realized I was a southpaw so I was because I'm left-handed and then I realized southpaws are like only two percent and they apparently are standouts in in, in combat sports because uh they usually have some sort of used to them. they're not used to them so I'm like okay I'm on to something here so let's work with this so I started studying southpaws and stuff like that and just I just started building it and just mm-hmm. start, I still do to to this day I still build it the exact same way that's all you can do until the end of time until you're done with this is that you just gotta take ideas you always got to be a student of the game never think you're a master always be a student always walk in like you know nothing and build 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 and that's exactly how i approach school it's exactly how i approach mixed martial arts and that's uh, so you start training you you're kind of getting obsessed with mixed martial arts you're studying it you're analyzing it you're kind of self-taught you've got coaching uh, going on at revolution yeah take us to your first fight what was the first sort of official here comes gary you know um i finished school and i remember telling uh the kids that i was going to school with or the the people that i'm like guys this is the last time you're ever going to see me Mm-hmm. The next you're going to see me is on TV. They're like, shut up, man. Like, you know, they all <laughs> laughed at me. And it's funny because uh, on Facebook, like, they have those, like, you know, way back, like, yeah, yeah, the, the flashbacks. And it comes up sometimes. It's like, yeah, and me saying stuff like that. I'm like, man, I said that stuff in, like, 2008. That's crazy. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And um, so my first official fight, so if you put, like, the Tiger Bombs and stuff to yeah. the side and stuff like that, like, I did those too. But my first fight was in Washington because MMA wasn't even legal no, here at that right. time. So yeah. I had to go what to What year is this? This is 2009, 2008, 2008. Okay, yeah. Yeah, this is a year into me training. So like 2000, 2008 kind of. Um, and so I'd been doing like these local tournaments, like uh, Tiger Bomb and stuff like that. Yeah. And my coach calls me. He's like, dude, I think it's time for you to step Who's it up. Who's your coach right now? Uh, Tim Thurston, uh, Lake Frederickson at that yeah. time. It's the same guy that you, you walked into Revolution and kind yeah, of started yeah. you off. The same, yeah. same guy. So... Um, so they're like, listen, there's a fight in Bellingham. It's an actual official fight, three three minute rounds in a ring. You're gonna have an entrance and all that stuff. I'm like, they're like, uh, yeah, dope. Yeah, they're like, it's on two weeks notice. And this kid's an O and O guy. He's from there and stuff like that. And he's like, are you ready to take it? I'm like, let me call you back in like two seconds. So I'm sitting outside Subway, and I just like screamed. I'm like, holy shit, this is about this is real. Now. This is about to be real. Like 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 he called my bluff. Like, this is, like, yeah, like what am I going to say now? step up. Right? Or... Yeah, either step up or walk away. Yeah. Um, I call him back. I'm like, oh, man, let's do it. And then what happened on the day of the fight was that morning, um, I had the biggest fever, man, because oh I got so nervous. I got so oh, stressed. just because of the nerves. Just, yeah, my nerves. Wow. My nerves. 
um, took my te- spiked my temperature up. I didn't sleep good for like the week leading up to it. I actually didn't sleep at all. Yeah. I just had insomnia. I was freaking out. I thought I was gonna die. I was just, shit yeah, I was right? scared complete because I'd never been in a street fight. I have yeah. no nothing. Like I've never no been in a fight. Right? This is my first official fight ever, ever. in life. Yeah. In life, and um, and so then we find out that I'm gonna be co-main event, and main event is Ryan Couture, uh, Randy Couture's son. Yeah. Randy Couture is gonna be there, and oh, I'm like, wow. oh man, I'm like, this is so this is gonna be big. Like I. I blew this up in my head like I was going to the UFC that day. <laughs> like I, so we're just um, I was so nervous and I think I was fi- I was fighting at 135. I think I dropped down to 131 by the time I got there, <laughs> and they made me weigh in five hours before the fight, even though the weigh-ins were the day before because my coaches didn't want to drive down the day before and then drive okay, back. So yeah, like, yeah. dude, you just just, just weigh in, up, just yeah. weigh in it, weigh in and just drink Gatorade and we'll put it on. So I'm like, all right, like I didn't really know what other way to do it. So then, yeah, I weighed 131 pounds, and I just remember just, man, I was, I remember going to the washroom, and I was looking at all the exit points. I'm like, if I just leave, <laughs> How am I gonna get I'm out? like, I'm going to, like, I've never prayed for, like, a natural disaster more than I did in that <laughs> moment. I'm like, man, just let, like, something happen, or I let the lights fail or something. I don't want to do this. And, like, I was just, and then Randy, uh, Randy was in the back, and I just, like, kind of talked to him. I'm like, how do you handle this? He's like, it doesn't go away, man. He's like, this is where, this is where you separate yourself from like most humans. Yeah. Right. It, you got to overcome it, it, that. Yeah. It's, it's fight or flight. You know that 99% of people would have, would have took the flight and kicked it. You got to stand here and fight. Yeah. And it I'm just like, special. yeah. And then, um, yeah. Okay. So the fight happens, I go in and it was just crazy. Cause I have no skill. Like I wouldn't yeah. say I'm skilled in any possible way. And what happens is he gets me in a Kimura and if you know Bellingham at that time, it was like kind of a pretty racist kind of place, yeah. right? So you got these biker gang people sitting around, like they got their jackets on and everything. And this guy gets me in a Kimura and this guy like, like, I don't know if I can swear or something. Yeah, actually. go ahead. Yeah. He's like, he's like, break his fucking arm off and send him back to his country. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, he had me in a full out Kimura. Like I'm telling you, if you put that Kimura is like most refs would just shoulders step in. It was it was shoulders was way back, and just I'm just looking at him. And the funny thing is, Tim and Blake had never showed me the defense for a Kimura. Yeah. So what's going on is this guy's got me in a full out Kimura. I'm looking at my corner, and Blake and Tim are demonstrating the technique right on each on other side. while I'm holding it. I'm watching <laughs> them do it on each other, like grab the inside of your leg and this. And while I'm holding this, like it's full out, like it's. It's breaking my arm up, yeah. I'm watching I'm like okay crap the inside and I got out of it wow. and like it was nuts man. and then um, so I win the fight goes three rounds goes to the judges and I win it and I go back to Tim I'm like I did it I did it and they were so happy for me and they're like listen man your skill sucks okay we got a lot of work to do but heart you're either born with it or you're or not you he's like we're on to something now he's like we can create the skill we want to see if you had the heart if you could pull through and like for two weeks after that, I couldn't move my arm, but that was the starting of it. They're like, dude, you have heart. We want to work with you. We, we, we want to build you up. And they started focusing a lot on yeah. me after that. And uh, Tim was even uh, in my corner for my first fight with Battlefield yeah. when we were at the, the Rocky Mountaineer yeah. station there. We were, I was just going to talk about that. So you yeah. were one of the pioneers in, in the yeah. Battlefield cage. One of the only guys who's still kind of active and... Mm-hmm. And you were there yeah, from crazy, yeah. from day one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Day one. And, and that was crazy. Tell us about that fight. That, that right? was crazy because um, the like these shows that I was part of were like pretty low-key shows and stuff yeah. like that, right? So like 
you know that the ring that you like, I never fought in a cage either. They only had uh, the ring, the, the, the ring, and I always wanted to fight in a cage. Like that's where I knew. Like I always wanted that's to get in there. To, yeah. That's where I wanted. And then I know half of these ring tarps had ringworm and staff like <laughs> graved into them, right? Like, yeah. like it was dirty ass places that we were fighting in, like fighting in Vernon on those X FFC yeah, cards yeah. and stuff like that. Like it was like you don't know where that just ring got put in stuff, after. Yeah. Right. So when Battlefield came around and Jay approached me, I'm just like, it seems so legit. And then when I went to Rocky Mountaineer Station, I saw the setup. I'm like. Holy crap, man! This like is this, real. Is, I saw the cameras, <laughs> I saw the screens and stuff like that, and then even like, um, like even the way you, even the way the staff would walk out, right? They're panning the camera on yeah. you, and I saw, and you can see it on the entrance video because that entrance is still on YouTube. You can see my face change. You can see when I look up at the screen and see myself as I'm walking out, and it just like my eyes just change. I'm like, holy crap, this feels like the UFC. This like is this real. is what it feels <laughs> like, right? And then we get in there, and I look at the cage and stuff. I'm like man this is legit like the lighting's good on the on the case like i notice all these things right so i'm like the lighting's good and then when they're doing the introductions i see my name come underneath the bottom and stuff <laughs> like these are all things that i was like dude this is like legit like yeah. like there's a real blue and red corner there's a real introduction um like there's camera angles and stuff like that and stuff like that like i don't need somebody in the crowd recording it on their cell phone so i can have a video of it after like there's a legit production around it so all these yeah. things like it made me rise to the occasion. I performed better because of that, because it made me rise to the occasion that was put on. That feeling, for, of the that picture, feeling right? it felt like the real thing that now it was time to go. Like just watching myself as I'm like being introduced on the screen. I'm like, dude, this is nuts. And that's, that's what it was. It made me just like, it just made me a better fighter yeah. in that sense. I, I think remember, it always has. I remember when, after that fight, your parents were in the cage with my you, parents. Right? Yeah. Right. My parents, um, yeah, it was just one of those. I think it was like the second fight they ever came to. Yeah. The first fight they ever came to was in the States. And my first two losses, I won one and then I lost twice. Mm -hmm. And that in my amateur. And um, that's when my parents were like already so against it. They were ready to kick me out of the house. They're like, what are you doing with your life? And they did put two, three month camps. So six months all together and then come out on losses was them like going, see, told you so. So it How was did you get over that? It was tough, man. It was like... Like, I took my first pro loss, and I feel like it didn't hurt me as much as that amateur loss did. The first loss is always... Dude, it put me in, like, a depression for, like, I was messed up. I remember, I think it was my sister's birthday the next day. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all the pictures, I don't smile once in those pictures. Like, I just look like a lost case, and I didn't know. And then I also knew that at that time, I was trying to prove to my dad that, that this, was this is something I really wanted to do. And then I was questioning it, too, and stuff yeah. like that. And just, like, I had all these dreams and stuff like that to, like... Make Make it to the big show i'm like i can't even get past these amateur shows and stuff like that so a lot of things were being questioned and stuff at that time so i just threw me kind of into a hole how did you get out how did you climb i think i disappeared for about seven eight months um or actually you know what they offered me a fight in king of the cage no this was my first fight and the second loss they offered me a fight at king of the cage and I'm like, okay, it's time to come back. And the funny thing is, it was supposed to be Demetrius Johnson. He was mm. still amateur at that time. He had so many amateur fights I heard. And I didn't know who this guy was at that time. Then I guess he got picked. He went pro or something, or he got picked up by WEC. I think he did, like, one fight outside of WEC, and then he just got picked up by it or something like that. Yeah. And I got put against this other guy named RJ Murphy or something like that. And... um. I was just mentally checked out in that fight too because I felt like there's so much pressure. It was out at, at a casino and my arm popped out. Oh. And so that, I took a loss just based off of that. So that was my second amateur loss. 
Then I disappeared for seven months, and then Bill Mahood used to put on shows in Vernon, yeah. um, XFFC or something like that. Yeah. They used to put on those those shows out there, Extreme something, and that was like it was all Revolution guys on there. I'm like, okay, it's time to come back. And I but just, how do you over that six months, seven months? How do you? I didn't yourself. Back uh, you out? know what it was? I didn't tell anybody I was doing that fight, so I took all that pressure of like knowing that if I lost, only I would know and my team would know. So it was always like, I think the reason... the so you minimize the risk. Basically. I minimize the risk by not telling anybody, mm-hmm. by not inviting anybody to the fight, not even telling my parents. I didn't even tell my parents how I won the fight, went in the back and called them like, listen, I'm actually in Vernon and I fought. And they're like, what? And like that, I didn't tell my brother. I didn't tell anybody. I felt like the pressure of that, that's why it was feeling the way it was. Mm-hmm. So I prefer, that was probably one of my best performances as an amateur. And then I met Jay. Then Jay came around. And was like, listen, we're starting this up and stuff like that. And that's where I just kind of started becoming a different fighter. Yeah. I would just like, I th- I'd finished school. I was full time now. I was only living off of like uh, personal training sessions and stuff like that. And that's what it became. I was living off very little, barely anything. And even going to sponsors at that time. How are you supposed to go up to a sponsor going, um, and listen, man, I, I'm an accountant. I want to be a fighter. Can you sponsor me? there's not a lot of businesses like MMA already yeah MMA already I didn't have cauliflowers here at that time I didn't have a broken nose at that time I didn't even have the look of it at that time I was kind of like I don't know if you remember at the time too there was a ban on MMA in the city yeah there was a ban on that too they wouldn't let it happen yeah yeah so all that kind of stuff so all that was going on so to get sponsors or anything outside of that was like impossible at that time uh, but they supported like wrestling right away, like like you know the amateur wrestling yeah. and stuff like that. But they would never support a, an MMA fighter at that time. So it was it, tough to just make was, ends meet. Oh, it was so tough. It was yeah. so tough. And then you had like uh, injuries and stuff like that. So at one time I was holding, I was holding about four jobs at one point. Oh Jesus. Um, plus I was training. Um, yeah. Plus I was training because I had. I messed up something in my ankle or something. And I was getting ready for actually the Chris Day fight. Mm. Uh, so now I had done the Rocky Mountaineer fight. I think the next one after that was Chris Day. Yeah, yeah. we were in August. And then whoever won that fought Cam for the title yeah. in January. So that one. So with, with, with Chris, which was in August, I hurt myself and I couldn't even walk. I was about to pull out and stuff like that. And, um, and then I just had to go get like three, four jobs to pay for those $65 an hour, like physio sessions and stuff and work and still train and stuff like that. So that was one of those things. I'll go to sponsors. They never understood. I had nothing going on. And I was just trying to heal it with ice. And I ended up winning that fight and didn't really throw any kicks or anything like that, except in the last minute, because I just knew the fight was going to end soon. So it was one of those ones where yeah. um, that was definitely one of those tough ones also yeah and then and then you went out you went on a tear right and usually yeah. in, in any sort of interview i'd be talking about I'd be spending a lot of time talking about that yeah. but because of the nature of what we're doing here and yeah. we're you know we're like i told you we're trying to show sort of that overcoming challenges and struggles what mm-hmm. i want to focus on is i remember doing talking to you when you had just moved to Montreal, maybe a month into it or something. Okay. You had a fight coming up, and right. we did we did a Skype interview at that point in time. And you you were before we started recording. I was talking to you, and you you were in a state of mind of like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, I think I that was yeah, that was um, what was that Jordan Mackin fight? Probably yeah. Jordan like Mackin I remember fight, you yeah. were late. You were running to it. You're like, dude, yeah, I yeah, just yeah, got yeah, off training. Yeah, this yeah. Is- I just finished sparring. I remember that, and you, I jumped on, and that's what it was like over there. It yeah. was just because 
kind of picture this. I'm living in Surrey, but I'm always training in downtown Vancouver. I don't have my own car. I have like, and I'm training about two to three times a day. So you're talking 45 minutes here, 45 minutes back, take a nap, 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back. Then the winter hits. Then uh, all winter the, in Montreal. It's just and you you have no friends and family. No friends you. or family. I had a lot of sponsor issues at that time. I had a lot of people. I had a lot of situations. I had really nothing. And yeah, at that because a lot of it is also like because you're you're local right you have your roots here mm-hmm. a lot of it is out of sight out of mind right it's, it's like a, yeah you're not fighting you're not here yeah. the sponsor's probably going what the hell am i doing paying yeah. this guy money yeah it, it, right? exactly it was a lot of those situations and yeah i remember that i was just like i just want to get out of here well, how, how, how do you that's the thing is like how do you do that right not not everybody makes a decision to leave it was family tough. and everything yeah. and go over there and then withstand all these struggles right how did you pull through that what what was it that that kinda- was that was definitely the toughest time of my life i would say at this point i spent 3 years out in montreal like i spent 4 years altogether but mm-hmm. 3 years actually then and one year on and off on and, and stuff off, like that right. um so when i first got out there i was living at the dorms mm-hmm. so basically your family the becomes tri-star yeah dorms, a tristar yeah. dorms and from I have a whole like I have my own house here. Yeah. And I was living in this like it wasn't that time it wasn't renovated. It was literally like you're walking around on like dirty brick floors. Yeah. You're sharing one shower between ten guys. Yeah. We're finishing training all at the same time. Some guys are really clean. Some guys are really dirty. Nice. Some guys have lived with their parents their whole life, so even their mom picked up their plate after they're done eating. Some guys have always lived on their own, so they clean up after. So I was one of so those you got people. A mixture of. Yeah, Different. yeah. So you got like fruit flies in one corner. You got so much crap going on, and just I remember just like yeah, I remember after my India fight, I had a fight in India. Mm-hmm. I had won the bonus at that time, and I was like, I'm taking this money and I'm leaving. And it was just like, um, for me, the biggest thing was I I keep myself now. I have like you know I have my partner who keeps me very grounded, mm-hmm. but. I always knew that I had to kind of pull myself out of situations that someone else isn't going to do it for you. I think it's because I was the oldest in my family and I always, all like I was telling you, from my roots, I had to bring things back and I was almost like a parent from right. the age of like five, right? So to that leadership. That leadership. Was, was... So even in this, it's such an independent thing. You're by yourself where, where I see like, you know, NBA players who get like a lot of fame and they get lost mm-hmm. and they get started. So I never wanted to be just a celebrity or something in Vancouver. That's mm-hmm. not what my goal was. My goal was to become one of the best, like, you know, do it. And Worldwide. Yeah, so I didn't want to be just known on Granville Street, right? So right. when I started seeing that, I'm like, am I enjoying this too much? Like, I need to, like, like this isn't your life. Like, you step out of here, this is just like you're a, a, like a goldfish in a fishbowl, but the whole world knows you nothing feel of like you. like you were getting too comfortable? I felt like I was getting comfortable. I felt like I was getting that way because everywhere, like, you know, you guys even had posters set up on Granville Street when you guys yeah. used to stream my fights at those sports bars and stuff yeah. like that. Everywhere I go, like, never have to stand in line for clubs anymore and stuff like that. And, like, you know, people were always want, like, I was really the only Indian doing it at that time, yeah. right? So that was a big thing, too, at that time. So um, I had to pull myself out. I was just like, I'm like, this isn't what I want to end up with. Like I see a lot of these amateur fighters who, who get caught up in just this. Yeah. There's so much more. Like you got to be able, unless this is all you wanted, this isn't all I wanted. I wanted to represent 
a billion people. Mm -hmm. So I had to step out and go train with the best and stuff like that. So I had to leave everything, like all the relationships, all my family, all the friends that I had, all the comforts I had, my car, my house, like all these things that were so convenient to me, the the ocean that I love to go to to just restore myself and just move to a place that I've never been. Um, and Montreal is different than like Toronto and so like Toronto people still you can still kind of feel at home a little bit Montreal is all French speaking mm -hmm. it's a very European place it's a very old city where Vancouver is so thriving and so nice and stuff like you feel very um, like I love being here every time I look out I'm like man this place is so beautiful I never felt that very much in Montreal and I don't think a lot of people in Montreal really look at Montreal that way they like to see the city life they like the concrete of it because mm -hmm. there isn't really much not the nature not, there's not yeah. really any nature to look at like that, that's the thing so they grew up different where I I got strength from the nature I got strength from going to the water and seeing how pleasant it was and kind of yeah. rejuvenating walking into the ocean getting refreshed and then going to my fights like every fight I ever did in Vancouver the ritual was always to go down to English Bay walk in uh, waist height kind of stand in there for a little bit, just let everything go, and then I would go to the, the fights. Even when I did the Vernon fight for mm -hmm. Battlefield, the Vernon or Kelowna, yeah, I went into the water. I always got to find these things. Montreal didn't have any of that, and I think that's why mentally and spiritually I lost myself out there. It was draining. It was you. draining me, and that's where my first loss came from as a pro was with with uh, Josh Gao. Mm -hmm. um, when I got to the arena that day, I was just mentally checked out. Because I was just so exhausted. Like you were saying, I jumped on a Skype interview with you guys and I was just like, yeah. get me out of here. I just wanted to get out. Yeah. I wanted the fight done with. I'd done so many rounds of sparring. I'd done so much work physically where mentally and spiritually I just checked out. Now I would say I would I do half the work like mm -hmm. that, that. like, But I do so much more mental and spiritual work, which is just... Just if, as important. If not more productive. Yeah, exactly, right. Right? So I'm more visualizing. I get these opportunities. I get to create myself in a different way. And you can see the difference in performances. So people always get so physical. People always think mixed martial arts all physical. And you got to put it round after round and stuff like that. I think a week before that Jordan or the Josh Gell fight, I counted it up. I think I had done... 35 40 rounds spread over a six-day period of sparring mm. so now you got to remember head trauma uh your body being beat down you're just taking a nap and thinking you got to go again because the other guy's probably doing this too but maybe he's not like you yeah. know what i mean so by the time i got to fight my body was broken i was done yeah and out there the medicals and stuff that was different right so we had to get medicals done for yeah. battlefield i didn't know how to get it to was the so hospital hard, yeah the hospital yeah like all the facilities out there how to get your medical license all the like how I can just jump in my car and drive somewhere and get something was not that way. I didn't know how it worked and how I could get it. It was just getting all Those these challenges. Things. But it was, so it was, it was still that goal that kept your mind sharp, right? It was, see, for some people it's, yeah. and I'm trying to probe that, right? Yeah, Maybe yeah. it is for you as well. Yeah. I'm not saying, so is it, you've got the fame and the glory of like, like you said, being recognized everywhere and everything. On the other side, you have a goal of leading, you know, being the first Sikh or Indian yeah. fighter to get into the UFC, yeah. world renowned, and and using using that uh, that fame to yeah. to get a message forward, right? What was that goal for you that that sort for of me, pushed you through? For me, I think it's a mixture of me being very stubborn. Mm -hmm. I'm very stubborn when it comes to my goals, mm -hmm. and people see that when I'm in training camp. My fiance sees that when I'm in training camp. Like, don't tell me anything different. I believe this. This is what I believe. I never wanted. I think one of the things that kept me going is I never wanted to hear I told you so, mm. especially from my family, especially from my parents. 
um, being like, I told you so. Like, why'd you throw away four or five years of your life now? You could have been fine out. Like, you know, like these were the yeah. things that I would never like. So I'm very stubborn where like I literally had to lose completely everything if, if like, and even then I would probably keep going. And the other part was that when I went to Montreal, I only went there with a suitcase and a vision board. That's really all. And I just put up a picture the other day on Instagram. I'm like, I showed up in Montreal with nothing but dreams and a suitcase. Yeah. That's what I meant by that, that I really did. I only went there with a suitcase and just my vision board. I had nothing else. I had no family. I had no friends. I had no nothing. And what, what it was, was I remember how, how many times um, I wanted to just, my bag used to always sit by the door. I wanted to just pack it up and go. I'm like, guys, I'm done. Like, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody even knows if I'm doing this or whatever, yeah. right? Fights were falling out. Opponents were pulling out. Bills weren't being paid. Rent was way overdue. Had no food in the fridge. Uh, going, like, you know, I would say I was going through depression and stuff like that at that time and stuff like that. And it just got worse after the loss. And, um... But what it was for me was if I give up, I'm giving permission to all the kids that actually took the time to look up to me to say, listen, it's it, like if it gets too hard, it's OK you to give up. give up. So I'm like, I'm selfish if I give up. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm selfish. I'm thinking about myself. But we wrote eight years ago when we started that, that this wasn't about myself. I am just the character in this story. But at the end, I am trying to inspire a generation that was told listen, you can't do more than what you are told by society you can do. So people just told me I could become an accountant. They mm -hmm. told me to go into finance and business, and that's all my life should have been. Uh, people saying that, listen, you're too small to be on the basketball team. You're too slow to be this kind of athlete or this kind of, uh, you can't take a punch. You can't, you, like, you're not a strong one. I was never a standout strong guy in my group. I was always the weakest, the one in the back always. I was, if you, if you even went back to like 2005 and you lined up all my friends, I would be the last Pick, the smallest guy right? i'd be the last pick you would pick of a guy who would go off and become a mixed martial arts fighter like i would against all the odds basically against yeah. all the odds just in my group alone just in the small group of probably seven guys you wouldn't pick me let alone like you know the billion people that are out there that you would try to pick me as a guy who would would basically take on this dream mm -hmm. so I, I that's what i want to represent it was to represent that listen man nothing comes easy and I was just kind of living what I was saying. I just didn't know how hard it really was and mm -hmm. what I was going to go through. Uh, but but I was still getting messages from kids that are like, dude, I look up to you. There's even like older people too, not even just kids. There was one guy that messaged me from Abbotsford here actually when I was in Montreal. And I remember I was at my lowest low at that point. And it was kind of his message. that He's like, dude, man, I used to do drugs all the time and this and this. And I saw what you're doing with your life and started going to the gym. Now I've dropped it and stuff. I'm like, man, that's crazy. Like this is kind of... So seeing that you actually inspired someone's life to change motivates you to push yourself further that, and That's and really what it all is. If you want to summarize it all together, that's really what this is about. I have a full-time job now. I work 16 hours. I don't do it for the money. I don't need the money. Mm -hmm. I do it as like a legacy now as in to inspire the next generation. Like I'm just trying to see how far I can take this really. Just how, like, like how far I can push this level, how I can stay true to myself and not lose myself through this whole process. Like up until this point, I would say I haven't lost myself. I stayed true. If not, I've discovered, I've discovered a lot more of myself. Like, you know, some people get phased out by it. They start changing and stuff. Yeah. I become cold hearted a bit more because of everything I've faced and I've seen how you, people you, change. You and stuff. Right? Yeah, you grow as a person, yeah. right? You see, uh, like I would say, especially after my loss is probably when I grew the most because I saw because you how, realize many, how many fall out. how many people disappeared yeah. within the time that his hand got raised. I saw how many people disappeared. 
let me draw you a picture. Okay. And I want you to tell me what's going on in Gary's mind at this point. Because right. this is one of the pictures. I mean, I've seen, Trevor and I have probably seen, what, six, 700 fights mm-hmm. three feet away, two feet away, right? I think I know which picture you're <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Looking across the cage in that corner, Gary standing with his back to the corner, punches come in, mm-hmm. falls down on his butt, blood everywhere, broken no- no- nose. And mm-hmm. I can see in your eye the moment where you're like, oh, no, this is done. Mm-hmm. Right? Sitting across the cage, I see that. Yeah. And and this is like we, we've we kind of grown up together yeah, in this yeah. past, you know, seven, seven, eight years of, of knowing each other. I have a relationship with all yeah. the guys that come through. You, you've been there from day one, right? Yeah. So this picture, and I remember I sent you a text the next fight. I said, I'm yeah. mopping your blood off the floor <laughs> out in this place, right? Yeah. Take me through that moment of of knowing your nose is broken, knowing you've roughed this out, but it's kind of coming over you that I've lost this fight. Yeah. See, the thing is, it was so hard for me to accept that because I had won basically all three rounds up until about four minutes and 30 second point. So at 30 seconds ago, he timed me out for a takedown and he broke my nose. Mm -hmm. Now, the only thing that was playing against me was how quick the blood was going into my lungs and in my nose. So my body, I was suffocating inside my face at that time yeah because it was really broken like it was broken it here was you can still see broke, the scar yeah. right here and it was sideways yeah. i had to get surgery on it and i didn't know how much time was left so i'm basically my body's like shutting down so my arms are kind of falling to my side but i'm still fighting like i would have fought to the death i would have like i like i still think i didn't go down mm-hmm. at that point because i had to stop it standing like i'm yeah. still there and um when i fell it was just I don't know. It was like the life gets taken out of you. Mm. The life gets taken out of you and just like, it's so different because I've been on such a winning streak. Yeah. Feelings were so different. You don't know the feeling, right? Feelings were so different and things were so different. And uh, I see that the first person I look for is my dad. Mm -hmm. And my dad just looking at me and it just kind of, he wasn't disappointed. It was just like, everyone was just really sad. I think everybody was worried about you. Everybody was worried. Your family, your sister was there, your brother was there. Yeah, everybody was just because it was bad. It looked so bad. bad, And this was the first, like, this was what, the first pro fight they had legalized at that time or something? So I'm guessing the reason they made it illegal is because they thought it was a barbaric sport. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't get any more barbaric (laughs) in those last 20 seconds with those guys there. And you got (laughs) blood everywhere and it's just a big pool of mess. And it was just one of those things where I was just like, man, I disappointed so many people and stuff like that. It was one of that's the first things that come on to me is I disappointed them. And then my fiance had flown in from Montreal. This was our first time in Vancouver. I told mm-hmm. her to come to this fight. So she's there. Um, she's in the crowd. So the added pressure of added pressure. She yeah. was there. Um, my parents didn't know her at that time. So they were like sitting on separate corners and stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just one of, I was just like, I just felt like I disappointed so many people. Do you people. remember what it felt like when you went, when you made your way downstairs into the dressing room? Oh man, it was hitting me by the second. I was like, I remember getting in the shower, like they put me in the shower and they threw ice on the ground and they threw ice on my head. Like they just threw a bunch of ice in the shower and Josh was just right outside the shower yeah. door and he's celebrating. He's calling everybody. He's like, you know, he's the opposite of what I am right now. And then there's like, uh, um, Who's that guy? I, uh, Michael, 
Chiesa, Chiesa yeah, yeah. Uh, Juliano Pena yeah. and them, right? Because he came uh, from that camp. Yeah. yeah, they were cornering him and stuff, and they're just all celebrating. And then even Rick, Mike, uh, Michael, and Juliana came up to me. They're like, dude, it shouldn't have been stopped. And just like, it was yeah. like, it's one thing when you know you've been finished, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I know I wasn't finished. Like, yeah. I get my hands up, my hands were still throwing, and the ref came in between it. And I was just like, I understand if I was being dominated for the first two rounds or three rounds, like, dude, we need to get this guy out of here. But it wasn't like that. And that's why it was hard for me to accept it for like, man, I, I went into a crazy depression after that. Mm-hmm. I, I was a mess. Um, I went back to Montreal and I had to get surgery out there. So I had to get my nose straightened out. And then now you got three more months off. And the thing is, I had a lease signed over there. So I had, so you couldn't let it go. I couldn't and... let go. Uh, the sponsor disappeared. Mm. Um, the sort of fake friends fall off. And all fell off. Uh, the hate was coming in strong over Twitter and stuff like that. And like, you know, at that time, I didn't know how to ignore it and stuff like that. So now it just, it does nothing to me. And that's what I mean. I've become cold hearted in a way yeah. because you, be, you create this thick skin over time. Yeah. Um, well, you grow, right? You, you grow, grow as a person become... and you kind of like, it's just how you become. Like people aren't going to stop. But at that time, that was the first time for, for something like that. And so I was reading it and my fiance was in Vancouver and to her, it was bringing her to tears and stuff like that because she had never dealt with anything She's like that. Used to like, that. Like, like she wanted to go on Twitter and reply to everybody. I'm like, no, you don't reply to this stuff. You're just ignoring it. Let it go. It's just going to come. It's, fi- it's little eggshell accounts that are sending these messages. I don't even have a face yeah. to these people, right? And um, it was just crazy, man. How, how do you pull yourself up? How do you, it how took do you, me a long time, man. I started, how do you pick yourself up, you know? But I started changing as a person. I started hating myself, and I think the people around me started hating, like, and the main person out there in Montreal was my fiance. Mm-hmm. was like, she had to be around this all the time. I was, like, backlashing at her. I was, like, I wasn't that positive guy anymore. So I wasn't. There was anger inside Yeah, there was this anger. I just felt like, I started feeling sorry for myself and stuff like that. Like, all these stupid things that, like, is a complete opposite of what I was that got me to this point and stuff like that. I was becoming the complete opposite. I was just being, I would just sit around at home. I wouldn't go to training at TriStar. Because the reason I moved out to, to Montreal was, was to, to train. To tra- so yeah. when you've taken training away from me, now I'm just nothing. sitting around at the house. Yeah. I don't have a job there because, first of all, you need French as even the first language there to even get a job at McDonald's or something. I'm no income coming in. I'm trying to figure out how I'm even going to make money, like, I can't get personal training clients because I don't know anybody in the city to like get started and yeah. stuff like that. I'm putting ads out on Craigslist. Plus, you're injured, right? Just... I'm injured. Um, What's what would you say was the turning point? What was was there a, what was there was was there a specific thing that got you to turn it around, or was it a gradual process? The turning point for me was well, Jay messaged me and um, he scheduled a fight with uh, Larry Oster. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing was, it got me up to start training again. So I was still battling all this stuff. I was trying to make ends meet and stuff like that and just trying to get training. And then, so that camp went on for about two, three months. So I would, so September, August is when the Josh Gell fight happened. Surgery happened like four weeks later. Mm-hmm. I was out for about three months. I'm still in Montreal. And then I think February... March is when, yeah, March is when Jay's like, listen, we can get... Um, Blair. Blair Oscar and stuff. Yeah. And so I started training for that. Fight. I'm a kid. That was on in May, uh, late May of, 
it, to... no, it was supposed to happen to me. That's okay. right. So, so what happened was I started training for that fight. I'm exhausted. My account's done. Like, my account is drawn out. There's not a dollar in it. The only money yeah. I'm going to make is me coming to Battlefield, winning that fight, and getting more money. Yeah. And I get my last session done. My fiance is so happy. She's like, okay, you did it. Like, you made you it pulled through yourself this. Out pulled yourself through. I'm walking to the metro station. I still remember this. Jay messages me. Blair pulled out. <laughs> Like you, like you, dude. It like it felt even worse than the loss. It was like double, it just sucks everything out of you, right? I, you I was already mentally done. I was done with it. Like I was just so I wasn't even enjoying mixed martial arts at that point. But I still kept pushing the only thing through. You could yeah, do, right. And then when that happened, I was just like, "What do I do now?" And like my lease was up. I had no place to stay. I had no place to live or anything like that. And I was just like, it just like. It it was crazy. Like the fight, like the fight got taken away from me, mm-hmm. and then I. You're, you're even you're 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 relying on the money too. Relying now. on it's the money. Just... Yeah, I'm relying on the money. And then what happened was, I was supposed to fly out June second or third or something like that. Um, so that fight got canceled. So now it's done. Now I got nothing. I'm just trying to. Now I'm back on that, feeling sorry for myself and just going into depression and turning on everybody and just kind of like, just venting just and life. And I also had to make it through um, a concussion at that time. I forgot about mm. that. Uh, yeah, so from January to March, I guess I got a concussion somewhere and there was stuff started adding up, I think, even from that Josh fight yeah. where I started developing really bad symptoms. I'd be standing at the metro and literally the metro would start shifting. Like, wow. it would start shaking. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And my head would That's start ringing. Scary, and I'd be watching a movie, and just the room would start vibrating. And I would start getting nauseous and something. Like, what's going on? So I went to a specialist and so, and the specialist made me do a bunch of these tests and stuff. And they're like, yeah, dude, you're, you're concussed. concussed. You're, you're concussed. Yeah. And, um, and then what happened was they brought in, um, they brought in a, a psychiatrist. They sat down. They're like, listen, come sit down. So they call me there. And they're like... They're like, listen, you have more to offer in this life than just fighting and stuff. So basically what they were trying to do is what I realized after was they're trying, because what happens with pro athletes is like football players or anything, once you take their sport away from them, they lose their identity. Their identity is gone when they're only known as that. And at that time, I was only known as a mixed martial arts fighter. People didn't really even know my first name at times like I would meet people. So they were just trying to help me with that. So they were trying to say you can't fight no more. And... um don't worry, your life's not over. Right, right. Right? right. They're trying to, so that's why they brought her in. They were trying to tell me that, like, you haven't lost your identity. You're still, you still have a life ahead of you. You have a fiance. You can have a family one day. Look, you can see your kids one day. So they're trying to do all this rehab Mm -hmm. on my mind. Making sure you don't get completely messed up. And then they're like, are you going to stop fighting? I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop fighting. They're like, you're going to end up like Ali. I'm like, I'm like, that's fine. So I'll die a legend. And they're like, okay. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you know, they're no like, okay. Yeah, guy. they're like, okay, I guess he wasn't a good example. I'm like, yeah, I understand he's gone through his stuff, but look what he's known for. Right. And they're like, okay, so they're like, all we can do is help you and give you the advice, but we can't stop you from this. So I took another three, four weeks off. I started doing only touch sparring and stuff like that. No hard sparring. I was really careful about it. And then that's when the Blair Oster fight came mm. about. And then so I got to May. The fight got canceled. I came through a surgery, loss, surgery, concussion, being broke, having no money out there, just everything. And now I was like, finally get to go back and redeem myself at Battlefield. Mm-hmm. And the fight gets canceled. Then, four or five days later, um, one of our friends from Montreal, 
he died in a motorcycle accident. Oh my God. Uh, on Grand Prix. Yeah, on Grand Prix. He, uh, we were supposed to see him like literally 10 minutes before it happened. Mm-hmm. Where we were just Grand Prix is a crazy time in Montreal and we didn't get to see him. So then next morning, my fiance called me. She's like, it, it was her best friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had died. Then a week later, one of my really good friends got stabbed here in Surrey. Oh, and man. people got scared and they ran off and they left him to bleed to death. So he, then it was just like I had to get back here because it was a kid that I grew up with. It was somebody that like when I left high school, everybody was calling him like my clone because it was everything that I was in grade eight. And the teachers and the counselors were like, it's like you've never left because we got him here and wow. stuff like that. He was like, like, did you feel guilty for not being there for him? Well, what was I going to do? Like, like, like I, like he was just somebody that would like, he'd be like, dude, I want to come out to one of your fights and stuff like that. And stuff like that. so all these kind of things. And, um, yeah, so that was just coming back for the family and stuff like that. So then that was just a crazy time. And, um, so now I came back here and I'm just trying to, now the Blair Oster fight's finally back on, but we're still not sure. This guy may pull out on the last on second. On the last second. Like, it's what, scheduled for uh, August or something. Yeah. So yeah. one thing I've never, I've come to realize with MMA is. You never know what's I never happen. get excited about a fight till I see the guy walking out. Yeah. Like I've just gone to, like, this isn't the only guy that this has happened with. So for that fight, if you guys remember, um, I walked out with a T-shirt with two guys on my shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that's them. Right. Yeah. That was them. And their initial was there on my shorts also. Yeah. And then I brought his parents in and they were in the crowd and like, you know, that's why I was fighting for them. paid your respect and everything. Yeah. I was fighting for them. And that was, that was a very emotional mm-hmm. fight and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, they had died. I'd come back and this, I had redeemed myself and it was just... So first round win, correct? Yeah, that was the first round win. It was yeah. just a crazy time. My fiance had flown in and surprised me after a fight. She was waiting outside the cage. I thought she was in Montreal watching with a whole like fan party the and stuff crew, like that. Yeah. But she was right there, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was not a crazy roller coaster. It's a crazy right? roller coaster. And look, from... that's that's literally that's not even a year. Yeah, that's like ten months. That's one year. And people always ask me, like, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you? What's the hardest thing? I'm like, dude, if I told you, like, that's one year of the eight, nine years that I've been at this for. Mm-hmm. Like, I can go off for another thing, but that's definitely one of those ones that was just, like, one after the other. Yeah. And, like, you lost people along the way, and you, like, you know, there was all this stuff. And then, but... Was there ever a time where you just thought, like, man, that's it, I'm done, like, I, I just had enough? Like, where you just so wanted to quit, times. but you just, what Dude, was it that just... In Montreal, almost every day after a while, I had my bags packed, I'm like, I'm done with this, like, what am like, screw this, man, I have no money, like, I'm like, because I knew what I was capable of, I knew I was capable of holding a good job as an accountant, I would never have to worry about finances, I would never have to worry about money, I would never have to worry about bills, like I would all just because as a fighter you don't make a stable income you yeah. get paid in spurts you get paid in like you know and you don't get paid much and you don't get paid much <laughs> right so so that that that's what it was it was just like I'm capable of so much more like why am I what am I doing yeah like what am I doing why am I so broke why is this all like why is this happening to me like I'm trying not to cheat anybody I'm trying to be honest with everybody I'm trying to stay good to it and so yeah there was. There was a lot of those times. There was like, especially that year right there. Like I was, 
I think my fiance is the reason that I kept going is because she's like, no, this is not the guy I fell for. This is not the guy. The reason you stood out from every guy that I ever saw here in Montreal was because you were different. When you came, you brought this energy like you had a dream and you don't see a lot of people that have dreams that actually stick by them and work at them. She's like, it was crazy how passionate you were talking about it. And uh, and that's, that, that's like a big part of it. And that was like... Like, I only started talking about, like, my depression and my failures, I'd say, last year. Mm. The Josh Gell fight was a while ago. Was but a time, when yeah. I think it was after my last India fight, when I was out of school, I opened up about it. Because I'm like, it's like a chapter that's made me now. Because what happened after the India fight, so if we fast forward to the fight that I just had. Yeah, the Mumbai, last one. Yeah, yeah, in Mumbai. That's the, the one, the guy who was, like... That's the biggest one. That right? was the biggest yeah. one, yeah. And that was the biggest one. I had to move up two weight classes. I had to move back up to 145, but I'm on 35 or 25er. Mm-hmm. And I got food poisoning the two days before. Oh, I didn't know that. A wow. lot a lot of it because I never spoke about it. Yeah. And what happened was um, we went into the slums to film like a promo. Mm-hmm. And I caught something in the air there. Only in India can you catch something in the in air the that air, can turn yeah. into food poisoning. <laughs> and so uh, I came back and just uh, Jeremy Kendi was out there with me. And... Uh, and I just started puking. I couldn't hold food down anymore. I just started watching my weight drop because the beauty of this wow. fight was I had no weight to cut. I couldn't even make 145 because like I well, like how active I am now. Yeah. I don't even walk around. I walk around at 145 when I really try. And so this guy was going to be 165 on the day. And, yeah. you know, there's he, no... Yeah, he was much bigger. And there's sure. no use sought out there testing. And we <laughs> didn't like, you know, that was one of the biggest storylines going into this. And so I got this food poisoning and I'm down to like 136 pounds on the day of the fight. And I was about to pull out on that morning and, um, and I'm just like, dude, no one's going to care about my excuses. Like, look what we've been through. Look what we've done. Like, to like get here, yeah, yeah, like we're not going to pull out. No, this is huge. Look at the platform you have. Uh, you become one of the biggest talks in sports in India right now on this weekend. And I'm like, it's all so crazy because before I went to, before I left for the fight, I had two missions. First was to win that fight, mm-hmm. then to go to Amritsar to the Golden Temple mm-hmm. and pray there. That was my only two things. Whatever happened between the celebrities we met and dinners and all that, that was all extra. That was just whatever. But those were my two missions. One was to win the fight and one was to do that. So I win that fight, crazy fashion, huge event. And me and my fiance, we both get food poisoning. <laughs> she got it too. And she had to get like shots and stuff like that. And we had a doctor in the hospital. Oh, yeah, so we went from... Mumbai is where the fight was, and then we went to New Delhi. The reason we went to India, well, she came to India, was so we could do our wedding shopping after, Mm because it's much cheaper there. So she came there, but so sick, she she was stuck in bed for the last three, four days. Doctor's there, but me and her, I told each other that we got to go to to Amritsar, to Golden Temple. So if you know where Amritsar is, it's at like the very edge of the Pakistan border, and like Mm -hmm. it's like on the other end. And so on that morning, she's like, I can't go. She's like, she couldn't even walk. Like she couldn't even like... And I literally had to like drag her onto the plane, put her in the seat. We flew to Amritsar, got off, got a cab or like a rickshaw or whatever yeah. it was. We took her to Amritsar. We were there for five hours only. And when we got there, she was so depleted and so sick that I just kind of gave her a water bottle, put her in like a safe place. And, like, just, went and just went and did my thing. I went yeah. and prayed and I wanted to serve there. Like I wanted to serve food. I wanted yeah. to wash the dishes and do all this. And the crazy thing is when I arrived at the gate, like at before I entered Golden Temple, I wanted to do like, you know, like I wanted to give thanks for something. And I wanted to see what I would give thanks for. And honestly, the only thing I could keep giving thanks for was all the struggle, mm-hmm. all the failure, everything I went through, l- letting me go broke, 
making me go through depression, going through that loss. There wasn't one thing that I said where I was like, thank you for the victory. Because mm-hmm. that led me to the victory. That gave me strength to keep going. Those things were like, like people always say there's a bright day tomorrow, even Tupac said it, right? For every dark yeah. day, there's a bright day. But you don't truly know what that means until you go through things. Right. Right. People are like, oh, I'm having a bad day. My coffee's cold or some shit like that. Right. So, but when you go through like a whole year or years and stuff like that of it, and then you make it out and then you look back on it, on who you are. Like once you make it out, you kind of look back at like, damn, man, like we made it through all that. And that's honestly all I could give thanks for was like, man, we made it to this point. I, at that time, I didn't think I would make it to this point. I didn't think there was another fight in me. I didn't think I would stick with this. I didn't think that that they would promote me in India. I didn't think that my face would be all over Mumbai on posters and on cabs and I'd be on TV, like, you know, all these things. But it was be- so so people always think things are handed to me. Like mm-hmm. people are like, man, this guy always gets this and this. I'm like, they don't know you don't struggle. know the story. You don't know the story. Yeah. And it's also because I don't, like a lot of us don't make the story public. Yeah. Right? Well, like, what you said is important though, right? So for someone who's going through that struggle, mm-hmm. the, the very moment you're in the struggle, you're swamped by it, you're swollen by it, you don't think this is the thing that's going ri- to make me rise. This, yeah. is, this is the thing mm-hmm. that it's going to make me a stronger person. You know, that, yeah. that whole story of, what doesn't kill us make us stronger. Exactly. It's true. Yes. And I think a lot of the time what we're seeing in, in, in our society, especially with kids growing up, is that there is no struggle. There is no <laughs> struggle. Know? So everything is handed, it's handed to them. The little, the yeah. tiniest shit that happens, they're like, oh my God, why is my life yeah. so miserable, yeah. right? And like, uh, like, like my job right now is I work with high risk use. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the job that I have now. Um, and... What an awesome job to have. It's honestly awesome. Yeah. It's it's like it's given me life, but at the same time, like like I have a foster home in my home now. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare where you gain a bigger perspective when you come to your own home. Right? right. Like usually you have to go out into the world and that's when they say your your eyes open it's, and some yeah. of that. But I come I come home to it. I just go downstairs into my basement. I go talk and to that kid and I hear a story on. and we talk and we grow and 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 it I get perspective in a completely different way. If I feel like I'm getting spoiled, I go right to, right back downstairs. If like, you know, times during uh, this wedding process, mm-hmm. we would get so overwhelmed and stressed and angry. I'm like, dude, we're getting angry and stressed over a oh, celebration enough. we're planning. Right. Do you know how grateful we should be about this? Like, there should be no stress. There should be no anger about this, about this happening, this happening. We're planning a celebration right now. Like, this is what it is. That, that should be like, most people... That would dream to be in our position. Yeah, helps right? you put, put, put things you in context. You always have to. And that, that's like, and some people get really lost away from that. And I've always, I've always, I think mixed martial arts keeps you that way. Because mm-hmm. they say sometimes the best thing to happen is for you to get a punch in the face to bring you down to earth. That happens every day when we go in. I got yeah. Jeremy punching me in the face. I got Bibiano cranking my neck one way and my body going the other way. So it, it makes you real humble real quick. So. Yeah, and humility is important. It it's does, huge. It allows you, it allows you to put things in perspective yeah. and move forward, right? It's huge because it lets you open up and lets you speak too, right? Because you're, you don't, you're, you kind of leave yourself, you let your heart open in a way mm-hmm. and it lets you talk to people and like, you know, it lets you put it out there like, like, like I said, I just started talking about all that stuff I went through like literally a year ago. But it's like I get the best feedback from that story than telling them about my accomplishments. Because right. I don't think people really give a shit about well, accomplishments. Well, they can't relate. They can't relate, right? People understand bad days more than good days, which is kind of weird. But 
people gain strength from hearing about your bad days and your good days. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, it's always interesting. Another topic that I want to, I've, I've been wanting to talk to you about this actually. Okay. You, one of the things that I've always heard you say is I want to be the first Sikh that goes into the UFC. We had our heavyweight champ, Arjun, go into the UFC. Does that in any way, shape or form impact the motivation you had, right? Because that's, I mean, that, that's a goal, right? Yeah. And I've, I've had, you know, we've had weigh-ins and whatnot where both of you guys have been here in this very building and mm-hmm. um, there's no animosity or anything like that. But you guys were chasing the same same right. goal in a way, right? right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not it's not exactly the same thing, but there's definitely room for multiple Sikh champs to be in the UFC, right? Yeah. But my question is, when I when I when I had when I when we when we knew that Arjun is going through, and we always knew that Gary is mm-hmm. chasing this dream, that was a question for me, and I yeah. want to hear you talk about it. Um, for me, it was interesting, but. In the sense that I had to sit back and I was like, you know what? We're two completely different stories. Mm-hmm. He is a athlete who came from the Olympics and Commonwealth Games and went into mixed martial arts. I have a different story where my goal is different, where I'm trying to prove that the underdog can make it to the big right. show. I'm the accountant. I'm the guy that was not supposed to be in this room, was not supposed to be in that cage, was, was never got any kind of financial support for any sporting that I did. Had to go out, make my ends meet, had to get out there where, so it was different in that sense. Um, as far as like, like, like for me, the thing that got interesting for me in these past couple of years was that like, you know, I fight over a brave combat federation in the state or mm-hmm. sorry, in the middle East and Bahrain and Dubai and stuff like that. I wanted to move forward with my life and that's why I'm getting married now. And that's why stuff like that. And the thing is, I wanted to start creating an identity where if mixed martial arts did get taken away from me, would I be lost or would I not be? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I started working with the kids more, the high-risk use and stuff. That started giving me more of an identity. That started giving me kind of a fulfillment. Then I started focusing on my relationship more, and that gave me a fulfillment. Then I thought about, is the UFC my identity to get to it, or is it to become the best version of myself as a mixed martial artist? So... I came to the point that, yeah, I, I do want to make it to the UFC. But at the same time, for me, I've always looked at it as a business. It has to make sense. Like, being in the UFC is a huge risk. Mm-hmm. So the reward should equal that. And I don't believe the UFC, UFC does that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, all we hear about is fighters complain about that kind right. of thing. But Where, the finances and everything. The finances. So then when I got connected with the prince over there and... I started seeing what they want to do with me. My mind kind of like, you know, and I've sat down with Paradigm and we've spoken about this Paradigm Sports Management and we've talked about this quite a bit. And just the idea of taking care of the people around me started changing. It's like, yeah, I want to, like UFC is like one of those historic moments that I want to do, but my story is just completely different. Mm-hmm. It's it, and and I believe the reason that Arjun got in with a six and record is because of the accolades that he had going into it. Right. It wasn't just based if he was just well, a six plus and also statistically being a heavyweight helps. Being a heavyweight is one of the most open weight classes. Where if you look at if you talk to Sean Shelby or Mick Maynard, the hardest weight classes to get in right now is one twenty five, one thirty five, one forty five. That's why Jeremy even had to go into one fifty five to go yeah. back to one forty five because there was no opening at one forty five. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of those things where it's like. Where it's like, I actually got called on, yeah, I guess I can say it now, it doesn't really matter. 
after my India fight, two weeks after my India fight, mm-hmm. my management calls me. Uh, now I've been in India. I've started putting the weight back on. They call me on 48 hours notice to fight Sergio Pettis mm. um, for the Dallas-Texas card because Henry Cejudo pulled out on Thursday morning. Yeah. And the weigh-ins were Friday in Texas. Like, can you make the weight? I was literally pulling into an all-you-can-eat sushi spot. <laughs> and my manager called me and they're like, listen, man. Um, so you think you can make 125? And I'm what like, do you weigh at that point in time? I'm about 147. So, <laughs> so I pulled out of the parking lot and I went straight to the pool. I went straight into a sauna and I caught eight pounds mm. and I was dead because I already had carbs and food. I haven't dieted yeah, for it. My guys, I can make it. I will kill myself and make it. But it also comes it down to the performance too. Yeah. It won't be much of a fight either. And so that kind of motivated me right there. Where I'm like, I'm right there on that list. You're on the, yeah. I'm on, on the, the cusp, cusp of, of it. it. Yeah. And then they called me for uh, the UFC Contender Series. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to fight on there on August 15. Mm-hmm. And then I guess Mick Maynard thought I would, I lived in the States all the time because on the countdowns, you always see me sparring with Demetrius and stuff right. like that. So they thought I lived in Washington, uh, like, like close to him. Yeah. Then they had already set up a fight for me to fight August 15. And even during this whole wedding process, I had taken it. Yeah. And then they realized that um, that I with... was going to need a P1 visa and the process and they need the fights finalized. So I'd take, be taken off of there. Yeah. So I had two opportunities right after my but India But you fight. know your your name is right, right there. there. So that's why I don't stress about it too much. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you, you know, right, right now, like I have never stepped out of my fight life and enjoyed another moment. Everything has to be around that. Even mm-hmm. when I go on vacation, I got to train. Like, yeah. it's always training vacations. When I go to Montreal, I got to figure out a way to train. Then I can enjoy it. If I go to Vegas, I got to figure out a gym there. So this was the first time where I'm like, you know what? Let me enjoy this for my family. Let my family know. They waited for this. They waited for their son to be married. My fiance has stood by me. So, like, like you know, the news came while I was planning for this wedding and stuff like that. That Arden was going to be fighting mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you know what? That Like, that's amazing. But it's weird because I was actually enjoying a different part of my life. Mm-hmm. I think if MMA was... The only thing. only thing that yeah. would have hurt me. So I'm talking like three, four years ago. If this had happened, I think it would ate me because if I was right. in Montreal and I moved my whole life there and everything was. But now I'm kind of getting older. I'm getting wiser and and like I'm training every single day. But I'm also creating different avenues in my life too. But at the same time, but never forgetting the initial avenue. Like I'm not distracted. Mm-hmm. I just know that like you know right now I have consistent income coming in. I don't have to knock on sponsors' doors anymore. Like, if they come, they come. But I'm okay. I can sleep okay. My bills are paid. I got food. And I can still live my dream. I got, like, my queen, basically, that I'm marrying next week. And so, like, all these things, it's like, I have to struggle through it. Where I do have different avenues where it's like, the UFC has called. But it's just like, you know, it's just these situations and stuff like that. And it seems like that's the only way I'm going to get into UFC because it's so hard for anybody in those weight classes. They're going to call me on 16 hours notice. They're going to call me on 20 hours notice so we're just gonna stay prepared for it. we're gonna have the visa ready and stuff like that so when it happens if it happens it does if it, it doesn't does. you're going out going forward moving forward with your I'm life going forward with it. it's gonna happen it's just a matter of where we'll be so it's like um one thing that we i've spoken with my my management so i'm basically just gonna invest in a p1 visa for the states mm-hmm. that opens me up to every card over there not just edmonton right right like how often do they really come to canada other than edmonton not so often, that if, yeah. if i just wait for the canadian cards that then that, i'll that, be that waiting your opportunity lowers my opportunity but vegas cards are every three four weeks so if I'm open to it, there's 125 fights, 125, 135, I'm open to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 
it's it's one thing if they had never called, if they had never messaged. I'm like, man, this guy got in, stuff like that. But it wasn't it wasn't really. But you know, you're right there. And I know I'm right there, and I know that I could have been there two weeks after my fight. So mm-hmm. in June, I cut or sorry, in in May, I could have already fought in the UFC. Right. But it was just it was just one of those situations, and we yeah. had to be smart about it. And then the contender series, and then all those kind of things, and so. So it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Time. It's yeah. going to happen. And it's just being prepared for it, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it's because you got to go in there. It's one thing to get signed. You got to go in there and perform too. That's right. Right? So you don't want to just get in there. And... You don't want it. So it's not really about who gets there first. It's who does it best, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's so like, you know, there's a lot of Irish fighters, but look at how Connor stood out after right. everybody else, right? So it's it's who does it best right. at the end of the day. So. It's cool that the gates are opening now, right? And I'm hoping that they'll go to India soon. And we'll that would be an awesome, awesome card cool. to be. Yeah, in, right? definitely. It'll be yeah. nuts. Yeah. Uh, last question for you. If there's a kid, younger person, sort of in in that dump, in that down that you've experienced so yep. many times in your life, and for whatever reason, maybe somebody shared this, somebody forwarded this to them, and they've they've listened through, and they they're just looking for that one bit that's gonna help them dig deep and dust themselves off and get back up and start mm-hmm. back go back back with their life. Maybe they're doing drugs, maybe they're drunk, maybe they're in fights, maybe they're in prison. Uh, what would you say to them? For me, like I would say that you got to create a vision of your life. And when you create a vision of your life, it has to be something that really pulls you through. Like it has to be like, like I'll take an example of when I have fighters message me, when I have like an amateur fighter message me, he's like, bro, like I want to start fighting. I want to make it to the UFC. I want to do this and this and this. And the first, so how do you start, man? What do you do? I'm like, what's your vision? What's your goal with this? Like, what are you going to do? And if they're like, dude, I want to become famous. I want to make a shitload of money. I want to, I want the girls. Like find, wrong reason. find something else. Find something else. Because I'm telling you, if you need half-naked men to be sweating on you every single day to pick up a girl, your you game is problems. real bad. <laughs> your game is real bad. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot easier ways to 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 pick up women. To pick up women than have like these half-naked dudes that are trying to beat beating you up, you. And beating you up, and changing your whole face and your ears and everything like that. So for me, what's pulled me through is my vision board. My mm-hmm. vision board, like I told you, I was fighting, I am still am fighting for something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. And my fiance realized that, like I would say, just maybe a year ago, when I got this job, mm-hmm. was when I started working full time and stuff like that because because she's like, dude, you're fine now financially, then why do you want to keep fighting so? I'm like, I told you from the first day, this is bigger than myself. She's it's like, I truly believe that now. She's like, I truly believe that because because you don't need to be doing this. You're making a lot more than a lot of the fighters are by doing what you're doing right now. And you don't need to be doing it. I'm like, yeah, but see, that's what I mean. I'm fighting for something bigger. I'm not doing it for the money. It's not about the money to me. I, I want to be able to take care of you guys. I want to be able to take care. I want to be able to inspire the world. And that's what the story is about because like I said, I'm not a wrestler that went into MMA. I'm not a wrestler with Olympic background. I'm not. I, I got shut out at the Olympic club when like I went when I went into like my hometown and stuff. Um, I knocked on their door. They're like, "Dude, we don't want you here. You're chubby. You're you're you have asthma. You're like you're not an athlete. You're weak." And I never turned to wrestling again. And that until I came across mixed martial arts. So my story is just a lot different. It's mm-hmm. just a completely different story. And it's just this is. 
I believe God set me on this way for that reason. I went through those, I went through all these chapters. Like, I really don't recognize the guy from the age of 22 and before, mm-hmm. because 22 is when I started this. Like, I don't even know, like, if I could go back, I would smack that kid. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, the world is your oyster. Like, like str- your strength is in your mind. Your strength is in your brain. Like, create a vision of yourself and go chase it. Be whatever you want. For you, like, like, don't let society decide for you. And like we've heard this quote before is don't be a product of your environment, make the environment a product of yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm still living in the same world that I was living in all my life, but I see it different. I, I look at the people that are in my life now, completely different. Like I'm talking all the way from you guys as the staff of Battlefield. I would have never came across you guys mm-hmm. if I was being an accountant from my training partners like Jeremy, Bibiano. Jeremy and me years ago were supposed to fight and now we're probably like the best of friends. Like he cornered me in India. We went yeah. to, we made him, we went and made history together. And it's crazy. We laughed about that. We're like, dude, there was a time when we were supposed to fight. I remember when Jay found out. Jay texted me. He's like, you and JBC are training together? I'm like, yeah, man, we're training together now. Man. You guys are going to fight though, right? Huh? You guys are going to fight though, right? Yeah, if, if, <laughs> if he can come down from 175. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so it's, it's just crazy like what my world's become, my circle from Montreal to everything like that. But it was me creating a vision where I was willing to go through all the stuff that I told you, all the failures, being broke and stuff like that. Because if I was doing it for girls or something like that, there's, I would have packed my bags a long time ago yeah. and I would have went right back on caprice or granville and went right back to work and and like doing that thing like even a week before um week before cam and my fight for Mm -hmm. the battlefield title i got bear maced outside the club i was bouncing and i got bear maced i had it in my lungs and stuff like that they were coming to there's some other guy that used to work the front door and he quit or something like that so they put me out there and they were coming for that guy and got you they were coming for that guy and they had been told that it was a brown guy at the front door and i happened to be that guy at the door that day and i took a straight and shut the whole club down they were holding me down in the back and it was just like things like this i was just like man even a week before my fight like like, I wasn't even supposed to work that day. I just came in, worked, and got bear maze a week before. And even while I was cutting weight, the last of it was, like, oozing out of me. You and I could feel, feel the it. burn and stuff like that. So, it's just it's just so many of these things. It's like, you got to believe in something deep. And you got to first find strength within yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't try to find strength in others. Because you're, like, don't, like, I shouldn't need you to tell me I can do it. I should already know I can do it. But just kind of take your words for what they are. Like my fiance gets mad like that sometimes. She's like, I'm so supportive. I tell you all these things, but I'm like, at the end of the day, yeah, you are. You truly are. But I have to pick myself up. Like when I was stuck in that depression, when I was stuck in that dark circle, it wasn't like you picked me up and you took my hands and you started hitting the bag for me. I had to believe that I could do it. I had to pick myself up. I had to roll out of bed. I had to believe that one day at a time i had to somehow figure out how to make money i had to somehow get back here and get over the loss of friends i had like it was like at the end of the day it's you understand right. that you're the one in you're responsible you're the your one responsible life, yeah. once people start taking responsibility for themselves and things start changing people always love passing it off on other people i think this generation we have now is weak because of that because they blame their parents but yet their parents are giving them everything but but it's like like the society blames them too that your kids are weak because you gave them everything so it's easy to pass off the blame people are too scared to take it all on themselves mm-hmm. and i was weak for that at times i'm weak still like that sometimes but then i catch myself i'm like dude you're doing that don't don't do that don't mm-hmm. don't be trying to pass it off just because you're having a bad day don't pass it off somebody get control of it figure it out you ever look back and just uh seven eight years ago 
to where you are now and just think like holy shit i made it like i cannot believe yeah. i overcame all this shit yeah it's it's yeah um it's weird because i always try to keep moving forward but you do have to sometimes stop and just look back and the concussions don't help either because you forget half the things until you meet somebody and you're like dude you remember that time i'm like holy shit i do it's like, you know, someone that was really there from the start, like some person or something mm-hmm. that's like, man, you remember when you used to sit at like school at the hallway and you'd be like, I'm going to become a mixed martial arts fighter. This is the last exam I'm ever going to do. I remember like handing that thing in going, peace, you'll never see me here again. <laughs> like I did that. And I totally forgot about that until somebody messaged me and told me, dude, you're still doing this after my India fight. People were messaging me that They're like, I remember you telling me you're going to go to India and do this. You were going to make history. You're going to do this. You're going to represent it and stuff like that. And they were just like, and I'm like, you have no idea how much bigger my dreams still are, like how much more mainstream and platform and what I'm still trying to do. Like, I still believe, I still feel like I'm still behind on what I really want to do. But I just keep, that's what keeps me hungry to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep pushing through. Spiritually, you, every time I've seen you fight, that last step of the cage, you Mm -hmm. kneel, you pray. Yeah. Who do you pray to? What do you pray for? Um, so in the Sikh history, if you know the Sikh history, it's a very warrior history. Mm-hmm. And for me, fighting's a very scary thing. If if I don't switch over, I always say I have a personality switch. And I actually have an interesting story about this. Is that before the Cam fight, before Cam DeLorme and me fought, my brother wanted to walk out with me for that mm-hmm. fight. So I'm like, okay, Rajan, uh, you can walk out for me. And so what... Blake and Tim had gone used to was at the last five ten minutes before I got to go up, they leave the change room. Mm-hmm. I turn the lights off. And you're just, on your own. And I just kind of go into this place, and you can see it every time when I'm in the back. In the Dan Lin fight, people were recording and they were seeing me kind of just change out, just pacing back and forth. I start switching, and um, so it's weird, man. I get this personality switch and I start talking in the Punjabi language, but not the one that is now in this old school dialect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I tap into it. I, through meditation, you can say what it's it is. Channel, but it gets channeling. dark and you can feel an energy which is very dark, but it's very like, it's, it's enlightening at the same time. And my brother happened to be in that room the whole time and you I didn't freaked know. freaked him out, didn't yeah, you? Freaked, he turned on the light. He's like, dude, I never want to be in here again. Like, like after the fight, he told me, I didn't even know he was there. And he's like, that was the freakiest thing. Like, he's like, what the hell were you saying? What were you doing? And that's what it is. And so when I kneel there, I just ask, like, you know, I always remember these stories and stuff that I read. So I take their names and stuff. I take their names. I'm like, give me strength. Uh, give me strength. Uh, yeah. So I say, uh, give me strength, but give my opponent strength also to make me grow and bring the best out of me. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always so say. So you pray for your opponent I pray well. for my opponent also. And... And so in that sense, and then I also kind of say, also do a quick prayer for people that have passed. Mm-hmm. So my cousin, long time ago, was one of the people that showed me that, like I told you, I used to watch Vitor Belfort and stuff yeah. that was with him. Uh, uh, he passed away years ago, and that was one of the people that first showed me it. Then, like, you know, the guy who passed away on the motorcycle yeah. and my friend and stuff like that. So it's like just remembering these people because I know they're watching. And one thing I always say is... Um, I give thanks to God for the strength he's given me, mm-hmm. but keep your presence out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, I always find it weird when people say, I thank God for knocking this guy out. I'm like, you, like, that makes no sense to me. Why you? Why would he give you strength to knock that guy out? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. So, like, for me, it's like, it's like he gave you strength to reach this point. 
But now, now, your now to... you're on your own. And it becomes very real for me in that moment because I'm like, I always consider that God's always around. But I do feel like in that cage there, he's not. Mm-hmm. He sits on the outside just like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes very real. It's just you versus you. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And that guy That's in very interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of the switch that happens like that. I always ask for strength. I always thank the strength that got me. But don't have presence in here now. Don't like you. I've talked to you. I've gone everything I've needed. And that's awesome, kind of and that's kind of becomes the switch at that point. How can people get a hold of you? Social website, social media, Twitter, Saint Lion, everything Saint Lion, S A I N T L I O N, and that's and that's kind of like Saint Lion. That's the balance right there. Mm-hmm. That right there is the balance. That's why the name is what it is. Well, tell so, me about it. So so the Saint Lion part, I was given it by uh, these sick weapons martial artists, which are like basically the last of a dying breed. Like they mm-hmm. are from the UK. They performed in front of the queen and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they kind of exposed me to all this history. They exposed me to the strength of like my roots and stuff like that, like really deep. And like my parents took me to the temple and stuff, but they never- Which is me, not the warrior but aspect not the warrior it, aspect, right? right? The pray, be peaceful yeah. side. So what happened was we were at a camp and um, like uh, a youth camp. And they do the weapons martial arts demonstration, so they make the kids compete and they have fun with it and stuff, but it gets pretty intense sometimes. I never got involved because I never want to be hit with the sticks or anything because they leave bruises and stuff. Yeah. So they were missing somebody and they're like, dude, you need to go in. I'm like, I'm not doing it, man. And so I got in there and it was weird. It was like as if like the genes of how to function this thing were you just in it, me right? and I just took out everybody. They're like, you become a lion when you're put in these situations. And this is before I discovered MMA. Oh, so wow. this after this camp is when I the whole I started directing towards it. It was like literally two months later I found MMA. It was <laughs> after that moment, and um, and they're like so then they were coming up with a fight name. They're like Saint Lion. You remain remember to always remain calm, always remain like always try to inspire, always be a good person. But when you get in that cage, you become a lion. It's like the yin and the yang. The yin and yang, yeah. and always keep that balance. Don't become the lion outside always. Like don't become ferocious when you don't need to be. Yeah. Always keep that balance. So when I get there, it's always a switch. So that's where Saint Lion. Awesome comes from. man, Saint yeah. Lion. It's Saint good lion. to have you here, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Take it easy.